0: This is a fun episode with one of my favorite orthopedic surgeons from the Midwest, Chris Daugherty. He's an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist. He's in private practice in God's Green Acre in Bentonville, Arkansas, the home of of, uh, uh, Walmart, as everyone knows. Basically, born and bred out in Missouri. He's on the medical staff of the Kansas City Royals. And really, we spend most of our time just talking about cool stuff that we do together and and really about key opinion leaders and early adopters of technology in sports medicine in particular, how that's important. We we really need evidence-based medicine, but experience-based medicine gets us to the point where we can study these things. So we talk about the MIOC bear implant, which is the bridge-enhanced ACL restoration, which is this cool new ACL that basically grows on its own instead of using uh, uh, tissue from somewhere else. We talk about the Biores Biobrace implant, which really is uh, what I think going to be a, a major game changer in industry that was just purchased by ConMed. And then, of course, we're thrilled to have Chris as the, one of the lead doctors at Ortholaser Benton Mill, Arkansas, and we talk about his desire uh, and why he is doing Ortholaser. Hashtag follow the fro. This episode of The Ortho Show was brought to you by Thompson Surgical Instruments. Thompson understands the value of exposure in surgery and is dedicated to providing innovative, high-quality, and safe retractor. Thompson's new Total Joint Table-Mounted Retractor System offers a versatile setup and independent retraction so that surgeons may achieve uncompromised exposure. To learn more and get your free trial today, visit Thompson Surgical Instruments at www.thompsonsurgical.com. That's www.thompsonsurgical.com. Thompson, the go-to retractor for all of your exposure needs.
1: From Medical Media, this is The Author Show.
0: Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. I'm really excited to bring on a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Chris Daugherty, who's an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist in private practice in God's Green Acre in Bentonville, Arkansas, uh, where he's a part of Agility Orthopedics, his private group. Uh, he's on the medical staff for the Kansas City Royals. He is a guy that is innovative, always at the front edge of sports medicine, orthopedic surgery. Chris, it is a pleasure to have you on, brother. It's actually my pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much. I see the Ozarks behind you, man. That big lake back there. It's one of my favorite shows. It wasn't HBO. I don't know what series it was on, but man, that was a good show. I'm sure you watched.
1: Yeah, we watched it in detail. It was on Netflix. If you look over here, the bluff that in the beginning of the scenes where Marty's standing on the bluff. Yeah. In the background.
0: I love it. What a great show. That was so, uh, so intriguing for sure. And uh, what a great area. You know, I'm a big fan, big fan of God's Green Acre. You know, we got the mayor of the odd soul, Matthew Ray Scott. Please tell me, (laughs) please tell me you've been to the odd soul for a cocktail one or two along the way. a couple. Yeah, there you go. The mayor. I love it. So, so look, man, we always start off with these episodes. We like to get the history, of, you know, why, why medicine? Why orthopedics? Was there someone in the family? What's your history? And uh, give the audience a, a heads up as to what's happened.
1: Well, that's interesting. So my older brother went to med school, um, kind of followed in his footsteps, but I was uh, playing football at the University of Missouri when I got hurt. Uh, and Dr. William Allen was our head team physician, and he pulled me aside. I had to dislocate a proximal tib fib joint. And after doing it about 13 times, he says, you're smarter than this. Why don't you come work for me in the orthopedic lab? I'm like, Okay. So that's <laughs> actually how I got started. I was in the orthopedic research lab at the University of Missouri for a number of years and then got to med school. and had already had exposure to orthopedic surgery through the lab. And so I just kind of fell in love with it and went with it. Yeah, it's
0: a common story, right? I mean, oftentimes it's like an injury. You're in sports. A lot of us, you know, in orthopedics, you know, started off in some sort of a sports career. You have an injury and then you sort of work your way through it. And so, uh, so basically, then orthopedics was sort of in your mind throughout your educational career? It was sort of a goal that you had early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much since the sophomore year of college, uh, that was my long-term goal. I digressed and diverged for one year, did radiology. When I was in radiology, they're like, man, you're an orthopedic surgeon. You're not a radiologist, so you need to go be orthopedic surgeon. I was like, okay. That whole radiology thing never stuck for me. I mean, it was cool to read x-rays and stuff, but it's like,
0: Okay, so I'm going through medical school and doing all this stuff so I can sit in a black room and never be able to meet a patient. I'm like, that just did not click for me. No disrespect to the
1: radiologist who would do a great job, but it was not for me. Oh, you know, I understand it. When they brought it to my attention, I, I was on call at night. I'd done 52 monster boards, 17 ultrasounds, 21 CTs, 8 MRIs, done a couple of chest tubes. had done two perk SI sprues because I could do those fairly easily. Uh, did a frame for a tibia plateau and that's when really like, look, you're not a radiologist, you're an orthopedic surgeon. And <laughs> took care of
0: it. Yeah, I mean it's hands-on, man. You got uh, you know, if you like tinkering and your hand-eye coordination, manual dexterity. I mean, I always say, like, now like one of my one of my largest LinkedIn posts was uh was uh me doing a surgery, and then I sort of looked over to the kids in the audience and said, you know, look, next time your parents you know, tell you to put down the, uh, the controller, you let them know that you're studying to be a surgeon, right? Because- <laughs> <Precisely>. <laughs> exactly. So that's sort of the hands-eye coordination that we do now with robots and all the other stuff that we do, but man, so you're, you're, you're a Midwest guy, man, you, you, ne- you never left. And so you're at Missouri, you then do uh, your medical school there as well. And then you do your fellowship at the Kentucky sports medicine program. What was that like? What was your activity there? What was, what was going on?
1: That was a great fellowship. I had opportunity to do several other fellowships, but, uh, Got my, uh, Dr. Montgomery was my mentor, if you will. And he directed me towards Mary Lloyd Island. He's like, look, you cannot go wrong with this woman. She knows her stuff. The best thing about Mary Lloyd is she would let you do anything you felt comfortable doing and she could do about anything you ever saw. So it was a full exposure fellowship. And then she sent us down to Nashville so we could learn from T-Bird as far as hip scopes go. Any gaps that she might've had, she filled for. Us. So it was something where I would n- I've would i never regretted. would do it twice in a heartbeat on her. So how long have you been in clinical practice now? What are you up to? 20 years? Yeah, coming on 20. Yeah, yeah
0: coming on 20 years, exactly. All right, so, so again, you know, you just got stuck out there. You love it out there, and God bless. So you're sticking around, and you decide you're going to initially set up practice in Missouri, if I'm not mistaken, for a short period of time before you made the transition over to, to Bentonville. Um, when did you get involved with the Kansas City Royals? Because
1: you're on the medical staff,
0: and you got some great respons- responsibilities there. I would love to hear about that. Sure. So
1: we were when we were outside St. Louis, one of the options was to move into St. Louis and take care of the Cardinals. And I did not marry a big city girl. It was not going to happen. This was a smaller town, and I knew that the Wichita farm team was going to come. And I was like, well, we'll go there and maybe it could help with that. So we moved down here. We got established. It was literally in 2006 we came down here, and arthroscopic surgery was kind of not really performed very often. You know, you think about the coast, you think about the Midwest, it takes time for stuff to come from the coast especially the more advanced stuff to get to the central aspect of the country. So I got down here and I saw it as a very ripe opportunity because there really wasn't anybody doing anything, anything along the lines. It was There was no hip arthroscopy, was close. So I was like, okay, this is a perfect place to go. It was a smaller town atmosphere. You know, it's Bentonville, it's Walmart headquarters, Tyson, J.B. Hunt. You know it's going to grow. It's like, okay, this is a good place to go. It's a great place to raise your children. And, you know, the population we got it was 250,000. Now it's like 800,000 in the metro area. So it's grown like crazy, but it's also been a very progressive town to grow in as well. So you say the Midwest, but Bentonville is very eclectic. Northfolk, Arkansas is not like other areas. We have every nationality you can think of is here because of Walmart. So consequently, if you're like, look, I want, you know, I want Thai food, it's real Thai. Like you're picking by number, they don't speak English. They it's straight up Thai. Same thing if you want, it, it doesn't matter. Any type of food you want here.
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. And you're right. I mean, you think about Bentonville, the home of Walmart and, and, you know, Tyson foods, as you said, And there's a couple of major trucking companies as well. So I've been out there. I mean, it's really impressive uh, what's been put together there. And then the Ozarks it's beautiful too. I mean, it's just a gorgeous country for sure. Uh, you know, and you really don't get an appreciation for it until you get there and you really see what's going on. And, and I think you, you summed it up beautifully. And uh so so but so so the Kansas City Royals were when you were in Missouri and then and then there's the farm team now that
1: that's also in Benton Mill as well. Yeah. So the farm club, they moved here in 08. Like I said, I had an idea they were going to go and having I was asked to take the Cardinals and turn them down because I didn't want to be in St. Louis. So moved down here, uh, got quarterback by a group to go with the Braves as well before moving down. here. it's like, no, I, I want to be small town. I don't want to take care of a club full time. And with the roles coming down with the naturals with the double A club, it was just a great fit. So they came down, interviewed some of the groups. So, like, okay, well, we like you. You seem like a good fit. And we've meshed ever since. So, started out just here, but then it immediately sprang into doing uh, draft physicals, spring training, Dominican academies. So, it's, it's kept me very busy, kept me on the forefront. That's one of the things I really like about baseball medicine. There's a lot of stuff that the surgeons are doing. It's something that it's not necessarily on the edge, but it's early in the reporting series here. We've done this and it works great. Okay. I'll try that now. So tell me stay away out in front of what's coming as opposed to reacting to what's already been there.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of time and energy. I mean, everybody talks about, Oh, it's such a great thing, but you know, huh. there's, there's a, there's a, you know, your cell phone is dinging, especially, you know, when the seasons get going and, and, and it's, it's a lot of work. So it's not, it's not just all prestige. It's a lot of time and energy behind the scenes.
1: Well, for sure. I mean, I think people don't realize as team physicians, you can't get paid for what you're doing. So it's volunteer time. And people are like, oh, that's so great. I'm like, well, you do it because you love it. Not because, you know, it, I mean, it's, it is great, but you're not getting reimbursed for it at all. It's, because it's a labor of love. So, you know, you take time off from your practice, time off from your family, but you do it because you love it so much. And that's why you see people do it year after year after year. It does get tiring, and everybody I tell, you know, testify to that anybody that's done, it's like, yeah, it, it's a lot of work, but it's still fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, game coverage is a young man's sport, you know, i, yeah, that, sure. I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years, you a know, little review and, and uh, I've taken care of uh, UMass little division one uh, program for, for that entire period of time. And so we've got some younger guys in now that do most of the game coverage. So I get the benefits of taking care of all the athletes for their injuries and whatnot, have a clinic over there, but don't have to sit through as many of the games, but I've got, uh, I've got three Hockey East Championship rings, which I claim to, and we almost won the, you know, the Frozen Four, so it's a labor of love, as you said, and it also helps the, you know, within the community and your reputation. Right now, all of the parents of all the little leaguers, they're all going to you know, make sure they go see Dr. Doherty because he's the dude. He's the baseball guy, right? For sure.
1: Yeah, you're, that is, you get, You do get pigeonholes, the baseball guy, but at the same time, they come in and they're like, hey, I need this. Yeah, I got you.
0: Yeah, but you take care of all the sports injuries. You know, that's just one, one aspect. I mean, it, I think it's fascinating that you learned hip arthroscopy, you know, so young. I mean, that was really in the infancy. I mean, I did some work with Joe McCarthy at New England Baptist Hospital. This was like in 94 and 95. And to be perfectly blunt, we were like, if we got the scope into the hip, we were like high-fiving each other. Like, what a cool thing. Like, now what do we do, right? There was, there was no, like, there was no clinical, you weren't repairing labrums and repairing, you know, tendons and stuff back then. You just went in and you shaved a little bit. But the fact that we could get the scope into the hip was pretty cool. Now you're only maybe, you know, eight or nine years out with with Dr. Bird and you're learning the techniques and, and then you picked up on it. So it really must've been a great advantage of practice.
1: Well, I mean it was like back then there was there was myself and uh Hal Martin was over in Oklahoma City. So as far as Midwest goes, it was kind of wide open. And you laugh about the infancy. I mean, I remember the first couple I did were dry with hysteroscopy instruments because we didn't have any hip arthroscopy instrumentation. Had a kid that has tethered fracture and just needed reduced. So had a chick champagne fracture table. Dr. Bird, you know, in the lectures are saying don't exceed 50 pounds of traction. So I literally got a fish scale on the end of the foot pulling on it to 50 pounds <laughs> to pop it open. <laughs> And make it in a portal capsule and flip it over with the hysteroscopy instrumentation. And you had radio frequency ablators that were done under CO2. So you could use them in ambient air. So that's all we could do. When we started.
0: So basically you're taking GYN instruments that are used yeah. to, to evaluate a, a uterus and using that for the hip, but that's what it was. I mean, it was the wild, wild West back then they hadn't, you know, like the development, even, you know, I was talking to, you know, to Anand non-Murthy the other day as well. And we were talking and even Brian Cole, who's going to be on shortly, you know, in 95, 96, you know, we were barely doing arthroscopic shoulder surgery. We would almost like look in to see what the pathology was, and then we would open them up and fix them, you know? And so the evolution in such a short window of time over 20, 25 years, it's quite remarkable the things we do now
1: compared to when we started. Oh my goodness. Yes. You know, we, when you think about the instrumentation, the techniques alone, the instrumentation made the techniques easier to do. Uh, and now we've expanded it from saying, okay, we just had the intraarticular space. We have the peritrochanteric space. We have subgluteal space. There's so many areas that it's going to continue to expand into.
0: Yeah. So what that means for the listeners is that, you know, you can do a lot of stuff. <laughs> you, yeah. can, you can fix tendons. You can fix labral. There's people that have arthritis. And so now you can get your hip, hip scope like you can, your knee and your shoulder. And there's some good indications and good treatment options for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, think about glute tears or even hamstring tears. You used to have to make this huge incision, you know, Seven, eight, nine, ten inch incision. You've got to put these pins in, hold everything in place. Now you just make little holes, drive right up to it, and fix it. It's just it's easier to see, easier to do. Yeah, no, completely agree. All right, so let's let's shift into something
0: that that you and I both love, and we've sort of become part of this cadre across the country of the early adopters, right? You know you, you think about Rogers curve, which is that curve of innovation where you know you've got the laggards on the other end and the dinosaurs who don't want to do anything, and they're still doing the same stuff they learned in clinical practice during training and then there's the evolution of of technique and sports medicine is sort of the tip of the spear right we're always asked to change you know routinely with new ideas and new concepts, and you have to you have to use them you know, before you can get to the point where you can say, where's the randomized clinical trial and the long-term data. And if you're waiting for, you know, randomized controlled trials to do stuff, you know, a lot of times you miss, you miss a lot of opportunity and some cool things. So yourself, myself, Sean McMillan, Sharif Bechet, Paul Favorito, Eamon Ferry. I mean, the list goes on with these, you know, amazing surgeons that are asked to trial these new products when they come out. And you and I are in that. And let's talk about a couple of them specifically, because I think there's been some really cool stuff lately. So let's talk about the, the Mioc and the BEAR ACL. And and sort of just to give the audience the, the update, the BEAR ACL is the Bridge Enhanced ACL Reconstruction. It was pioneered by Martha Murray at a children's hospital. It went through a rigorous FDA approval process, now FDA approved. And basically, you put in this collagen sponge into where the ACL is, and you grow a new ACL. It's super cool, super innovative, completely new way of thinking. And Dr. Chris Daugherty, why are you putting in bare implants into your patients right now?
1: Because it's a game changer. It's the best way to avoid my patients getting arthritis from a surgery that we've always done. There's nothing better than your own anatomy. So if I can restore your own anatomy the way it came, how is it going to work any better? It can't. It's perfect. When you do an ACL reconstruction, you and I both know, you know, you drill the tunnels, you do your absolute best. It's still not the same. It's just not.
0: Yeah, no, there's a high, you know, you know, rupture rate. If you look at the literature across all ACL graphs, it's been that 10 to 15%, you know, failure rates associated with these. And you're right. What are we doing? We're doing a reconstruction, right? You take a piece of tendon from some other place in the body and then you reconstruct it and you put it inside the knee and you you sort of hope for the best. And, you know, we've been doing this for 20 years and we both we've definitely seen the ups and downs where you try something it doesn't work and then you wait 10 you 10 years later and somebody wants to try it again. You know, Greg DeFelice, God bless him, the ACL repair guru, you know, out of HSS has some good literature on on the repair of the ACL and I think that's coming as well, but you know, this implant in particular, you're right, is is completely unique. So 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 walk us through you know you got a seventeen year old patient that walks into your office uh patients get a Division one scholarship. It's a young woman to go to go play you know soccer at northwestern uh she has a torn a c l and wh- how's the conversation? What does it go? Did they come to you and ask about bear? Are you talking about it let's let's talk a
1: little bit about how that plays out well it, there's both of those scenarios so with bear like we're getting calls from patients in other states saying, hey You know, I hear you do bear. I'd like to talk to you about getting one. Like, absolutely. At the same time, you have the patients that show up and give this scenario, for example. So I talked to that young lady. I'm like, okay, here's the problem. You're in a high risk failure group already. doesn't matter what graph we pick. Using a bear implant, you're going to delay your return to play by three months maximum. You know, you may not, you're actually not really ready to go until somewhere around seven, eight, nine months anyway. So if you do a bear, which is going to restore your native ACL, then you've got a much better shot of never having another problem. When you look at the other graphs that I can pick for you, they're never going to be the same as what you originally started with. So if you're asking me, I'm going to put a bear at 100% of the time if I can at all possible because I want you to have as normal a knee as possible. And you know, we're going to fix the meniscus and all that stuff. And I can put in four or five ACLs, but they're never the same as yours. So I'd like to put yours back by using a bear.
0: You know, and it's interesting again for the audience, it's basically, it basically looks like a marshmallow. You know, yeah. it, and it's made out of bovine collagen. And this collagen, uh, the our body likes cow collagen for whatever reason. They put it into hearts. They do a bunch of other things with it. You know, we both have experience in the shoulder. We'll talk about that next. But it's basically, it basically looks like a, a marshmallow. And then you drill tiny little holes into the bone instead of the bigger holes that we normally do. And The technique is really not complicated for a skilled ACL surgeon. We're doing them in 45 minutes to an hour or something like that. And then what happens is, The body figures out how to to grow into this collagen, you know, mold, or if you will, and the fibroblasts grow in and you recreate an ACL and your body makes a new ACL that was there before. And there's been, you know, there's good literature, there's good studies on this. This went through a very rigorous, arduous FDA process of clearance. That's what I focus on for me in particular, you know, to not mention it right now, as far as an ACL reconstructive option, I think would be a mistake because it is FDA approved. People know about it. There's a large group of patients that are seeking out care, as you said, where they call you. Um, so I think that, you know, it, whether or not it truly bears out to be the panacea and, and, and the hopes of not having arthritis down the line will remain to be seen. But the moon study that's going on right now, there's a lot of great data and it's hard to ignore it. And so I'm, I'm there with you hundred percent. I think it's something that needs to be discussed and offered to for our patients.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, for me, it's always been, is there data to support why you're showing me this? Because if there is, then I can do it. You you know, we always say you don't want to be the last adopter, but as far as first adopters, it's better be an early adopter. Waiting until something's been proven for 10 years, you're way behind the curve. It's already been done. You know, it's not for every patient. Like I had one that was scheduled for a barrier, you stick the scope in and you're like, you don't have enough. Your stumps, you have to have enough of what's called the tibial stump, the bottom side of the shin bone is still there. And if you don't have enough, you just can't do it. So you might want it. And then we have to fall back and say, OK, we're going to do this other one. It's, it's still a good gold standard. It's just you can't have what I wanted to do for you, which I think is the best.
0: Yeah. And, and I want to be clear, you know, this implant, unlike any other, right, went through this incredible de novo process of FDA clearance. And so there's tremendous review and literature support behind this, this implant. Now, whether or not it it truly pans out, we'll see over time as we all continue to follow. But this is one opportunity for our listeners out there that are orthopedic surgeons in particular that are saying, well, should this, is this something that I should do or not? Well, you, you have a lot, there's a lot of backing behind this that's legitimate that would 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 certainly allow you to sort of have that, that conversation with your patient moving forwards for sure. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I I have another one scheduled, you know, for next Friday and then it's always the same thing, right? oh, yeah, we can do this for you, no problem. Then the surgery center calls back and says, oh, no way, that thing's too expensive. We can't let you do that, right? And then you're jumping through hoops to get it done. But have you
1: found, has it been an issue for you insurance-wise and getting approvals? No, I mean, I get the approvals from the insurances. For me, I make a focus of making sure I take the bears to the hospitals where I know that it'll get reimbursed for because it is a more expensive implant. But, you know, in terms of, the, what's better for the patient, I still prefer to take them to the hospital so they can get that bear because if they can't or if they're so, you know, if they're alpha gal, something like that, where I'm still not sure if they can or can't have the implant, then I'll still do the autograph, take them on the surgery soon. But otherwise I'll take them to the hospital, where it's not a bigger issue for me.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And that's exactly what I'm doing as well. All right, we're gonna take a short break to listen to our sponsor, trackable Med. This episode of the ortho show podcast is brought to you by trackable med. You work like crazy, but you make less every year. You feel busy, but it's not with the procedures you want. The problem is you rely on referrals, which are out of your control. Maybe you've tried advertising, maybe a new website, but there are always questions. Is it working? Am I wasting money? How can you get more of the patients you want on purpose? Trackable med. Trackable Med was born out of a frustration with an advertising industry riddled with a lack of accountability to actual outcomes. With Trackable Med, it's all about the results defined as something you can deposit into a bank account. Results are achieved through an approach rooted in neuroscience, advertising, web design, and even appointment setting patient engagement solutions. Everything is designed with purpose towards your goal and all with no contracts. Find out if accelerating patient demand for your practice with trackable med is a good fit for you. Visit trackablemed.com and click on free consultation. All right, so let's move on to another one of our our cool overlaps that we have. And we got to give a shout out to the ortho show. We had Kevin Rocco on from BioRes. He was part of our pitch pro episode that we did probably about, I don't know, a year ago now. And he came on, and then two weeks later, after he had been on, they got FDA approval, and then like two weeks later, he like won bested show for something or other and the word is that he just uh, that biores was just purchased by conmed, uh, or the purchase is going to happen shortly, but it 's been announced officially at this point, and so they 've had an exit or I should say a new entrance moving on but um, so you know, great story about this other cow patch thing, right for some reason, again, our body really likes bovine collagen. So, what's your experience with bio bio bioresin? The bio brace. The bio brace can be used either with ACL reconstructive surgery or as an uh, augmented implant for rotator cuff repair surgery as well. You mean my tendon
1: in a bag? Tendon in a bag. Tell us about it, man. What do you got? Love it. It's got great structural integrity. Like it's got some oomph to it. You can pull on this thing. So, first thing I did on was a a it was a grade four AC dislocation. I mean, the thing was way up. I'm like, well, I don't want to pull a graft. Uh, This guy, you know, he. So we have a lot of mountain bikers out here. These guys are going off jumps. We have ones called the big drop. If there's a cross breeze, you're going down and breaking something. So Bentonville is the mountain biking capital of the world, and they smash up constantly. So you used to see maybe one or two grade four AC dislocations. You might see six or seven in the spring, five or six in the fall. So you get pretty adept. So I do a MADOC-style procedure because I want good stability. And then rather than pulling off a hamstring or doing an allograft, I'll do a tendon in a bag take a bio res, dunk it underneath, pull it up through my tunnels, tie it on top and then bring my strings over. tendon in a bag. Are you hearing that Kevin Rocco? And Dave Dave? <laughs> tendon in a bag. I love it.
0: Oh, that's going to be fantastic. So, but yeah, what a great indication. So again, for the listeners that, that want to know, that's like when your clavicle bone dislocates up in the air and you got to push it back down into place. We do surgery to hold it in position. You've been doing it for rotator cups as well. What's your experience yeah. there? Yeah. For augments for sure.
1: You know, tissue deficiency is a real problem in cuff. You got to, you go to fix one and you know, it's a, you think it's going to be nice, you know, 57 year old guy and you jump in the shoulder and like, this is like three millimeters thick. This is not good. Yeah. What's
0: really cool about it, you know, but no, please go ahead. Continue.
1: No, go ahead. I mean, the fact that, you you know, you can sew down. So when you fix rotator cuff, you got this footprint you're working with and you want to put sutures on one side, pull them through, sew it down and swing over the other. So you smash the whole thing down. But if it's too thin, it's probably going to fail. And the sutures, like when we're tying, our knots, we can cut our fingers through our gloves. That's how this stuff is. So it's nice be able to lay a bowel res over the top of that deficient tissue, sew down as hard as you can, get a graft on top of it. Because just like you graft an ACL, you can graft a cuff. And there's some stuff used that doesn't turn into tendon, but this stuff turns into tendon. So it's a perfect substitute to put on top of something that doesn't have enough.
0: Yeah, no, and you're right. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of studying that's been done on these bovine patches. Prior to the uh, evolution of BioRes and the BioBrace, the nice thing about the BioBrace, as you said, it has these fibers that run through. It's almost like rebar through steel that allow you to put sutures into it. So it's got structural integrity as well as organic, you know, biologic growth that can happen as well. So it's really kind of cool that you have both of those things. And again, I completely agree with you. It's been a game changer for me in my revision uh, rotator cuff surgery, as well as those really difficult rotator cuffs where you're not sure if it was an old SCR tendon transfer, but now I think we're capturing a few more of those more difficult rotator cuff repairs that can be done. So yeah, kudos to, to, to Kevin Rocco and his crew at BioRes and, and uh, you now great news for ConMed and, and them. I think that was a really great move for ConMed. I mean, they're, they're going to build on a platform now that they didn't have previously it really gives them a leg up. So I think they're all pretty excited.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a solid device. It's a good pickup for them
0: for sure. Tendon in a bag, Lisa Donnelly. You're hearing that tendon in a bag. I think that's going to be a winner. Uh, no, it's too funny. All right, so let's talk about what other passionate thing that you and I have together now. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear, but Ortho Laser Bentonville, Arkansas has opened up and you've been, you know, one of the lead physicians in that group. Uh, so we really want to welcome you to the Ortho Laser family. And and just, you know, tell us about, I mean, I know why I've done it and I've been so passionate about it. I'm always on the soapbox, but,
1: but what piqued your interest into the concept of the idea of opening an ortho laser? So great story. So we always get the PDMP reports and markets. So basically for everybody listening, it's a piece of paper, report card on how many narcotics you write. Okay. Well, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I do a minimum of 40 surgeries a month. So I'm going to write 40 narcs. Well, that gets you red flagged. So I'm like, I call them up. I'm like, Hey guys, I'm doing Surgeries, I got to write for pain pills. Yeah, but you're still writing for too much. Okay, well, I need something better because if I'm getting in trouble and I'm being watched and I'm writing for these pills, and there's something better, what is there? So you start looking around. You're like, okay, well, who's this fro guy? Okay, he's got this ortho laser. He's got open. All right, let's just start peeking into it. And as you get further into it, you're like. All right, You're putting out some stuff that's like they're using less opioids. It's consistently less. So start started asking other people who have been involved. Like, I talked to Mark Albright and a couple of the guys, and they're like, oh, yeah, it works very well. So it's like, okay, now guys that I trust, not that I don't trust you, but it's like, okay, other people's opinions, especially when you go to surgeons that you trust, their opinions matter. So like, okay, these are some of the smartest guys I know. They're all saying this is real legit. Okay, I need to go into this because I want something for my patients where I can give them less narcotics and they can have less pain.
0: Yeah, you know, an opioid alternative strategy, I mean, is just, it's something that's mandatory in in what we do at this point, right? You and I, you know, in our earliest part of our training, we, you know, we didn't have anything else. It was just opioids, right? And right for 60 pills over a weekend, right? Because you knew your partner was on call, you want to make sure there weren't any phone calls. And then next thing you know, you have a no pain list because people are calling for refills and you weren't an orthopedic surgeon, you were an orthopedic surgeon, but you were a pain management specialist weaning people off of medication, trying to get them off of narcotics. And it was, it was painful. It was a difficult process for us as clinicians and physicians, but it was also extremely painful for the patients. And most of us had no idea in the earliest phases of our career. We didn't have any any idea the the effects of the opioids and, and the opioid epidemic. And so, but, you know, we've all had to change. It's just by definition, right? It's just, you can't use Highly addictive opioids for patients in a routine and regular basis, you're
1: just going to create too many problems. Oh, no question. I mean, the, the percentage of people addicted off of a single prescription, it's like, you know, like you said, used to write for, you know, 40, 50. Okay. Now I'll do, you know, you get 10, 20. You're not getting a bunch. You're gonna make the weekend. We can talk on Monday, but you've got much better alternatives now. So for our patients, like if you have surgery, you're going acutely to get your treatment post-op so you're not taking a bunch of narks to cut your pain down I can treat with an ortho laser make you feel a lot better and maybe it, you never need a refill on anything
0: you know and it's so funny I mean you know the the, the laser of course we have not been taught it in our medical school curriculum right so no. so there's there's naysayers everywhere what is this stuff I've never heard of it. you know but you know if you walk into your vet your veterinarian you know the, the number one utilization of, of laser right now across our country is veterinarians. And I bring it up every time people are like, well, what difference does that make? Well, it does because your dog, if it walks in with hind limb arthritis with a limp and gets lasered and walks out without a limp, it's because it worked and they got better. It's like the dog doesn't have a job. There's no like disability payment waiting for him to not go back to work. I mean, either it works or it doesn't, you know, yeah. And so so for that reason, you know, along with many a host of others, we found that laser really has been quite beneficial, especially in the post-operative period. reduces the inflammation and the pain and the swelling. And, and then also, you know, I'm sure you're going to start using it for your athletes as well. all of the athletes that have these acute injuries, we've had great success with the laser, getting them back onto the field faster and, and reducing you know uh, in, reducing downtime and increasing playing time.
1: Well, for sure. I mean, this, the science is there. When you start doing background research into laser therapy, you'll find what photomodulation can do. It's all there. You just have to look for it. The, you know, when you talk for professional athletes, we've been using laser on these guys for a number of years. It's not like it's new to us. It's new to maybe the general public, but we've been doing it with pro athletes for a while. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's right something? away. So because yeah, yeah. they're they're expensive, people don't realize this guy's not playing. That's like a hundred thousand dollars loss right there if he doesn't make a week or two. So our job is to keep them healthy, get them out safely, but get them out so that they can play competitively. And it's lasers gone a long way towards doing that.
0: Yeah, most of the lasers that are used in the professional locker rooms are are the handheld lasers, where you have to be really you got to be careful because you can cause some injury because uh, they do, they do generate some heat. The beautiful thing about our MLS M8 laser that we have at Worth a Laser, it's a pulse laser, as you very well know. So we're not generating that heat energy, so we don't run the risk of developing complications with it. And yet we can take care of a lot of patients because the treatment modalities and times go way down, you know, treatments for eight to 10 minutes instead of a 45 minute session in the training room. So really help, you can help a lot of people that way for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, the pulse technology is huge. Just what you said, you're not generating heat So people like, oh, I'm going to get burned. No, you're not going to get burned. The way the cycle set up, it's designed so that you never get injured, so that you go in safely and get your treatment.
0: Man, we got to get, we got to get Walmart. Wouldn't, wouldn't Walmart be an amazing, you know, client to consider the use of laser? Let's talk about that for a minute, right? I mean, if you think about these large, you know, warehouse type jobs or people that are doing a lot of repetitive motion disorders, right? I mean, what's your workers comp, you know, workload out of Walmart that you see on a regular basis?
1: Well, that's funny because I don't primarily take work comp. Okay. <laughs> I'm usually the secondary guy. So you might've seen somebody got a second opinion, you come and you still have residual pain. I can tell you, you know, at our surgery center, we do see a fair amount of it though. And it's a fairly high volume, but you, you know, re- recognize with the employers we have every fortune 500s here, So everybody's warehousing. There's a ton of warehouse workers that are getting injured, not just, you know, Walmart per se, but Tyson's hunts, Coca-Cola's, you know, PepsiCo. They all got warehouse workers. They get hurt. Repetitive lifting. There's a, there's quite a bit of it. We've actually started talking with some of the, Self insured employers, and a lot of them are around here, about offering them treatment packages that do involve the ortho laser. So, you know, some of them will have chiropractors, physical therapists on site, maybe OCMAN on site, so they get seen. And so we can present them look, here's, you know, our treatment protocols, here's rehab protocols that you can use in house, and we can treat with the laser, hopefully save you a significant amount of money over traditionally what you've been doing.
0: 100%. I mean it doesn't even have to be surgery. Most of the people don't get the surgery, but if you have a rotator cuff tendinopathy or a tennis elbow from that recurrent, you know, pathway of movement back and forth, rather than getting cortisone shots and physical therapy and being out of work for 6 weeks, you know, get some laser as you're going along in the process of this and and allow you to to maintain that employee in the work environment instead of losing significant wages and time out of work for the treatment of these injuries.
1: Well, precisely. So there's a study If you get a rotator cuff repair and you do an injection in the post-op period, there's a 43.8% failure rate of the cuff repair. Don't, don't inject. So on my cusp and I see partial thickness tear, you know, you think it's exam, they got a positive whipples, ultrasound shows, partial thickness, zero injection. Why run the risk of giving that patient a full thickness tear? Even though guidelines say you should, it's like, well, those are ancient guidelines. This is all new stuff. You have to pay attention to what's new. Put them in the laser, give them a therapy, get them a lot better without costing so much money and or causing a surgery.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's being recognized more and more, right? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery now lists laser on the recommended list for knee arthritis. The revised CDC guidelines on the recommendation for treatment of opioids uh, has uh, laser listed on the recommended list, which will hopefully be official, you know, soon. And, and most importantly, you know, the Pope got lasered the other day. And from what I understand, he's doing better. So if it's good enough for the Pope, how could it not be good enough for us?
1: <laughs> that works. The other thing that surprised me is the number of people that are walking in asking for it now. Oh, I like that. Tell me yeah. about that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So,
1: you know, for example, a guy comes in yesterday and he's got flexor and extensor tennis device. He's got diffused diffused DJG of his hands. It's kind of hard to do. PRP in every single IP joint. I mean, I'm sure you can get it done, but talk about pain. And he's like, no, I came in because I want to go to your laser. I'm like, yeah, we can do that. You know, y- are says I'm taking all that. I've done everything I can do. I want that. All right. We get you set up with it. It was just that simple. Patients coming in, quad strain, the, the athletes are coming in, you know, pretty quickly. Like, Hey, I need to get in. I got MCL. We'll get you in this afternoon. Okay. I want that. We're going to take care of it. You got to need this other stuff too, but yes, we'll get you in. So, it's kind of something where you start it and it just starts selling itself. You don't have to try and tell people, look, this is better for you. They come in, they know it's better. I want that now. All right, we'll get you set up. Yeah, I mean,
0: alternative treatment options. It's something that people are looking for instead of the standard, you know, quickie cortisone shot that may actually be causing more harm than good, uh, especially with the standard corticosteroid injection. And so it's great to have options for your patients. And, and people are smart. They're figuring it out and they're looking for a little, you know, a lot of different options that are available for sure. So man, look, this is great, Chris. I mean, it's always fun to be able to talk to someone who's the same age, been through the same stuff, and and you know we have so much in common and all the stuff that we do in clinical practice. I uh, I'm coming out to the odd soul for God's Green Acres soon enough. I'm going to have myself a little little beer with you and the beard. We got to hang out for sure, sure. and uh, and uh, we're going to be shooting some film in, in Matthew's studio coming up too. So. It'll be great to see you and be able to see how Laser is doing. And it's really been a pleasure having you on. Well, it's been my great pleasure. Thank you so much. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of The Ortho Show. Till next time.